Welcome to What's Up, Wellness from the Third Floor. This podcast is provided by the Wellness and Health Action Team, also known as WET, from Portland State University's Center for Student Health and Counseling, or SHAC. We're located in the Health Promotion Suite on the third floor of the University Center building on campus. Our purpose with this podcast is to discuss a variety of health-related topics in a way that will be accessible for a non-traditional campus. My name is Bella, and my pronouns are she, her, hers. My name is Josh, and my pronouns are they, them, theirs. And my name is Quinn. My pronouns are he, him, his. We're all members of the Wellness and Health Action Team, and we'll be your hosts for this podcast. Let's get into it. Hi, folks. Before we get into our conversation today, I wanted to say a few words about the name of this episode. The phrase Black Health Matters is extremely important. I did not come up with this phrase, and it is part of a larger movement. There is an organization named Black Health Matters that I wanted to shout out in an active effort to give credit where it's due and highlight the incredible work that folks are already doing in this area. The organization Black Health Matters provides an enormous amount of health and wellness information, and their website will be linked in the description of this episode. With that being said, let's get into it. Hello, lovely podcast family. It is Bella. I am back, and this is actually my last full-length episode that I'm putting together for you all. So I wanted to do something special um, and really kind of sum everything that I've done up with a, um, a topic and a conversation that's really near and dear to my heart um, and to my roots and my home and my community. Um, and I wanted to really top that off with having my lovely auntie, um, Dr. Monique Lassar, join us. And I'll let you, Dr. Lassar, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hello, Bella. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be joining you on this podcast. Uh, I will first share that I am the executive director at Rafiki Coalition for Health and Wellness in San Francisco in Bayview Hunters Point, uh, which is in San Francisco's uh, most um, isolated with uh, resources and geographic uh, communities in San Francisco. And we focus on health equity and reducing health disparities in San Francisco's Black and African-American community and other communities that have been oppressed. Uh, we started off as Black Coalition on AIDS uh, in 1986 uh, in the height of the HIV pandemic and uh, really um, kind of coalesced um, as a collaborative around um, what was not being done by the mainstream medical uh, establishments in San Francisco. And, and from there, uh, we have uh, stayed true to our roots, but also expanded into additional health equity uh, work. Uh, so I will, I guess, pause there and have you tell me what else you would like to know. Yeah. Um, can you explain a little bit about your educational background as well? Because you do have a doctorate. She's a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, sure. So I have both, I guess I have a, a bachelor's <laughs> in integral, basically integral studies, it, which you would think of today as interdisciplinary studies. 
uh, focused on critical thinking. And then I have a master's in clinical psychology and a doctorate in clinical psychology. Yeah, I, I just wanted to include that piece because I think it's so important to um, to include mental health and everything we do in public health um, because mm-hmm. it's it's so relevant and you don't have physical illness without something um, some sort of mental health piece to it um, mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be always in the form of um, diagnosable conditions you know mm-hmm. like we mm-hmm. all experience um, various levels of of mental health experiences all the time and mm-hmm. um, that can certainly be exasperated by um, community trauma and and mm-hmm. history and mm-hmm. violence and mm-hmm. and and so many things so I think it's really important to have a mental health lens when we do public health because um, it's not just about achieving numbers, you know, and just focusing on deliverables. Um, it's important to to really focus on the well-being aspect. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think in San Francisco, and I would imagine this is true, pretty much around the country, that public health uh, folks aren't really doing public health the way public health was originated. Um, in the conversation. And so we've gotten very far away from it or the establishment, kind of the, the structures of public health, which are really still formed in um, and out of, you know, white supremacist culture that is really based in, uh, you know, enslavement. So, you know, enslavement and um, capitalist society uh, kind of coming out of the industrial revolution in Europe and spreading across the world really had an impact on um, even our academies, right? So we think about all of our educational academies, our hospitals, medicine, all of those are coming out of the roots of this white supremacy. So of course, it even though um, folks don't have the notion that that's what, it, that's what it is and that's what's happening, nevertheless, those are the roots. And so, when we start to think about um, things other than numbers and things other than keeping people sick, at this point, um, you know, we want to go much farther upstream into social determinants of health and really focus on what can be done preventatively versus what can be done once someone has um, has you know illness. And so, also, how can we look at that holistically across the whole system? So that mental health and physical health are not separate. It's actually, you know, it's all part of the same person, the same organism. Mm -hmm. And all of that starts if you think about, um, you know, preconception um, and uh, what type of groceries, uh, what type of food, you know, someone has, what type of exposures to toxins someone has, what type of health both uh, egg and sperm have essentially in, in, forming that egg and then going throughout gestation. Um, In San Francisco, we have unfortunately the second highest uh, numbers of preterm birth for African-Americans in the country behind rural Alabama. So something is happening in that conglomerate of uh, health, of of generational health and wellness, of access to food, access to healthcare, structural and systemic um, and interpersonal racism as well as uh, racism within 
healthcare, uh, food access, transportation access, um, education access, all of those things go into what then becomes the development of the child. And so yeah. if you think about, you know, not only the, the healthy birth, if one can have one and, and make it to 40 weeks, mm -hmm. um, but if a child is born premature, then it has a lot of catching up to do. So both yeah. for uh, what happens for the, the attachment, um, if a child has to be incubated, um, as well as along the lifespan. So I, I know I'm kind of going way far ahead, but <laughs> I, I hope I'm making sense. No, yeah. I mean, I think that that's such an interesting piece of it too, when we look at um, Black maternal mortality rates compared to white. Um, that's like one of the, the major health disparity statistics that I think is is starting to be known like in general society beyond people who are invested in health mm -hmm, and public mm -hmm. health um, because it's so um, it's so striking and and on, honestly shocking to a lot of people if they don't understand how these how these systems create um, create these health inequities and I, I wanted to speak on that piece too with um, the maternal child health of epigenetics and mm -hmm. the, the study of like how your if you are becoming pregnant your grandmother's health can impact mm -hmm. the health That's of right. that egg and so um your maternal grandmother and so when we think about um black health and and black communities like we are we are we like to think that stuff in history is a long time ago but we are just a few generations removed from um some really really severe horrible um mistreatment and jim crow area um era you know segregation and and violence that was happening that's really not that long ago and um and that still is going to be able to affect um the generations not just with generational trauma and mental health and mm -hmm. stress and chronic conditions but with maternal child health and infant health as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So psychological health, right? As you said, stress impacts uh, one's body in, in, during pregnancy, of course. Um, and then additionally, um, you know, across the lifespan. And then in San Francisco, you also add the toxicity of the shipyards as the, uh, you know, one of the largest Superfund sites in the country. And so it's no wonder if you think about cancers, you think about all of the things that folks were exposed to radian and, and carcinogenics and all types of toxins, that this is happening specifically here in that specific geographic location. And then you add all of the things like Jim Crow and all of those types of things. And then you see the impact because what I think is really important to know is that depression and anxiety, for instance, um, can also be um, worked with based upon nutrition, right? And so if you, if you don't have uh, access to organic or healthy, uh, clean food um, that's not full of toxins and not full of uh, chemicals, then it's going to impact your mood. It's going to impact your learning. It's going to impact um, you know, how, how your brain forms and your development. So all of those, it's, it's nature and nurture. And then I'll also 
if you're in an environment where you have been uh, uh, formulated into a um, cradle to prison pipeline um, in an area where you literally have been pushed out by a city, then you're still really having um, a situation where not only you're having mental health stressors, but you're also having physical health stressors and you're also having environmental factors. And then you're also having epigenetics. So, yeah, yeah. and that being said, there's still, you know, people are still thriving and yes. beautiful and well, and at the same time, just having to overcome uh, just tremendous hurdles. Yeah. Um, thank you for saying that. And um, for those listening who are native to Portland or Oregon, um, the uh, that phenomenon has absolutely happened in Portland as well um, with black communities on in the Northeast and um, in North Portland and Albina. So it's absolutely a thing here too. And um, you can imagine across, across the U S the United States and beyond as well. Um, I want to, I want to read a quick quote from an article that I'll link in the description um, out of the new England journal of medicine and it's titled How Structural Racism Works, Racist Policies as a Root Cause of U.S. Racial Health Inequities. And this kind of breaks down like when we talk about health disparities and health inequities, it can be hard to kind of grasp how structural racism actually leads to an individual's health or a population's mm -hmm. health. And so mm -hmm. it's it's a helpful article to help break it down. But um this quote says, quote, as a legacy of African enslavement, structural racism affects both population and individual health in three interrelated domains, redlining and racialized seg residential segregation, mass incarceration and police violence, and unequal medical care. Um, and there, there's obviously uh, more, but a lot of the, the things that we talk about in public health fall under those um, under those policy categories. And it's really important to realize that these, these things that happen um, of pushing black communities out of the city and, um, and lack of access to food and, and all of these things is usually because of policy and because of systemic disinvestment in black communities. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and not not providing resources and and like what we talked about prenatal care too like having access to good quality prenatal care and and um and health care that's not going to look the same in certain neighborhoods as it would in other neighborhoods um and and how those um the you know segregation and and public policy of of resource allocation and stuff for you know, schools, for instance, um, there's not going to be like robust nutritional education programs in public schools in in public schools that are barely struggling to like get textbooks. Um, mm -hmm. Absolutely. So there's there's so many pieces at play and it can get really overwhelming. <laughs> and I actually mm -hmm. want to ask you about that of, um, you know, I've, I've seen both sides of of this, of public health getting really, really specific of like, okay, we are focusing on this very particular aspect of mm -hmm. food insecurity on this one community. Mm -hmm. And 
and that can be effective in certain ways. Um, but there's so many other factors. And so I really don't think that we can just isolate these variables and, and focus on one thing at a time when there's so mm -hmm. many systems and other mm -hmm. things at play. Um, but how do you not get lost in the sauce, so to speak? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't know, maybe I am lost in the sauce. Um, so I won't say I'm not lost, but I do believe that we have to work on all the levels of policy, both, you know, so for me, I believe that, um, you know, so I still teach because I believe that our trainees and folks that are coming into the communities have to um, decolonize um, their worldview uh, before they come into communities. Uh, for That's for everyone, but specifically for folks who are not from the communities, they additionally have to spend extra time doing their own work. And so um, I believe in working on that level with trainees. Um, I believe that also, of course, that would be in, in creating um, interventions in real time um, programs in community, which is what we do, as well as working on um, legislation and working with our, our local government, um, as well as our local universities to create um, alternative, uh, both the research that is community-based, community-led, uh, as well as um, uh, the, the, um, the things that community know actually work. Mm -hmm. um, and so moving that up to policy level and um, legal level. And so those are all types of things that have to be done at, at multiple levels. They can't just be one at, done at one uh, because oftentimes changing the law or changing the, the policy also opens up additional resources. And without those resources, we can't necessarily have the programs that we would like to have. Um, because what is also extremely perhaps shocking um, is that uh, the giving from private foundations uh, and private giving uh, to Black-led organizations, for, for instance, um, is uh, less than 2%. Um, and so it, it follows sort of trends um, that are also happening within cities and counties and states and, and around the country. So if we, think, if we think about it that way, then we know that we have to change these policies. So also, if you think about it another way, so a good friend of mine uh, recently uh, sort of led the California charge uh, around getting um, victim services for those who whose families also are involved in um, perhaps um, causing harm. So not just for those who have harmed who can have access to services, but also for the families of those who caused harm that they can have uh, therapy services, that they can have, um, they can be buried, um, they can you know, have access to services that they previously could not have based upon the status of being um, uh, labeled um, as a criminal or you know, really other, you know, that second-class citizen. And so um, that's one way that actually opens up resources to families um, who desperately need it. Um, and so that will have an impact on actual real people. Um, so we have to look at how do we, how do we change things? Uh, that same friend also worked to 
on the, this, the California campaign around um, changing policies around marijuana um, holding and usage. And so, um, and decriminalization of cannabis, mm -hmm. you know, so that there's a whole way that huge pieces uh, of people won't be locked up. Now, also, if we think about that, if we could also say that, uh, for instance, in Berkeley, um, you're not allowed to stop for minor, police are not allowed to stop for minor traffic issues, like, a, um, like one light being out or something hanging from a mirror, because they know that those are the often times when um, homicide by police is happening to um, black and brown folks. Yeah. That's, um, I didn't know Berkeley was doing that. That That's really great to hear. And um, the Amber Ruffin show, uh, it's on on YouTube and she's a great comedian, but she, she has a piece, I can link it, about um, how those like minor traffic stops are just mm -hmm. a form of police like <laughs> trying to collect <laughs> public money and how it's mm -hmm. all... Um, and, and fines and it's mm -hmm. all money driven. Um, and the fact that racism is used to make money is, um, and, and horrific acts of violence are used for justification for a, a traffic light. Like it's, it's ridiculous and um, a horrible abuse of human rights. So that totally makes sense. And I think, um, I think part of it really is, I mean, people don't say Black Lives Matter, you know, for no reason. It's because as a society, we're valuing those little, like getting that fine from that person over someone's life. Um, mm. And, and it's, yeah, it's, it's horrible. So I think back to your question though, about <laughs> loss in the sauce. I think that there's so many different areas and that I, that is the challenge, I think, for most small community organizations is because the need is so great and there is so much to do. Um, and so I, I think figuring out the thing that you have the passion for that you do well, um, and then really partnering with others to have collective impact in the community is really essential to really build those partnerships um, and to support other other community-led or, or city-led uh, places where things are happening. Um, and so that, that everybody can um, utilize and maximize what resources they do have. So mm -hmm. I think that's really crucial. It's like, um, you know, I have a space. Um, I have, uh, you know, a lot of wellness services. And so we're not gonna run um, a um, you know, pregnancy village for, for pregnant black people. But, uh, but we are gonna be part of it and we'll be part of the wellness services and we'll be part of black centering for pregnant people uh, because we believe in all of these things and we have something to contribute, but we're not gonna come out of our lane and say that that's our lane. We're gonna let you know maternal health experts stay focused on that and then we're gonna be, bring what we bring to it that's additional. So I think that's an example of not getting lost in the sauce but staying yeah. focused, but also identifying that there's many other components that go with uh, maternal health, Black maternal health. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think um, part of that, not necessarily you have to stay in your lane, but like 
focusing on what you do and doing it well and Mm -hmm. making it enhancing it and expanding it, um, Mm -hmm. I think is really beautiful because, um, utilization is so important and sometimes it just takes years and years for something to Mm -hmm. get anchored in a community and become, um, something that's well known and well utilized and something that people can consistently rely upon, um, and, and so that can, that can take a while. And it also can, um, take a while to build trust. Um, Mm -hmm. and there's so many, so many reasons why there's (laughs) mistrust with medicine in particular. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and they're justified reasons too. Um, we, I think we get lost in this narrative of that medical racism happens because of (sighs) a few bad apples. Um, but you know, there's, there's evidence showing that the system, the system itself and the way um, that medical students are educated about mm-hmm. race and, um, yeah. and what race means and genetic differences. And that's a mm-hmm. thing that's been in public health that we don't like to talk about, um, of, of focusing on genetic differences between race and seeing race as the, the problem that causes someone's illness or mm-hmm. disparity. That's right rather than we're shifting now we're shifting to studying racism as the factor that's causing Mm -hmm. um those health inequities rather than someone's biological status um which is also you know (laughs) but it's very but it's very much not still embedded in uh, the medical model yeah Um, i have to um uh there's a project actually that i'm a co a co-PI on for UCSF um, that uh, the students brought it or actually they're, they're in their uh, residence now, um, but they, they brought a project to me and I uh, wanting to look at uh, um, anti-blackness within um, the community and look at the impact that it has on community. Uh, but what I really said to them is look, um, and they were wanting to study the community to see all this stuff. And they weren't looking at, well, actually UCSF creates the problem, right? And so I said, well, listen, you know, I need you to really flip the paradigm, go back and bring me in a, a new project. Um, and they went and they did it three times till they got that, they got, they understood the lens um, that I was trying to say, which is um, black people can't solve racism um you know the anti the folks that are being anti-black need to solve uh the the anti-black racism because uh for black folks the the, there's symptoms but the cause of the problem is the problem who have internalized anti-blackness yeah so in other words in that case um the project they're going back to do is going to be really examining the emergency room practices um, of what is happening um, on their campus for Black folks who are coming in with psychiatric emergencies uh, and seeing what happens to them. Um, And so I'm really excited about that, um, about that study. Um, But what it really does is, you know, there's still, these are people who are in their residencies. These are, you know, top of the top NCSP scholars um, who are given this, you know, these, these, um, 
these residencies and they're still coming with a faulty paradigm. Um, so for instance, we're doing um, community vaccinations right now and we're doing hyper like local ones um, this past weekend. And I was looking at all of the, the folks that they were bringing out to do the vaccines. And I literally said to everybody, look, you know, um, racism is the water that we swim in. Anti-blackness is the water that we swim in. So I need you to really uh, remember um, to be gentle with our community. Um, over 50% of medical students and nursing students still endorse that they um, believe that black people don't feel pain the same way. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's not treated appropriately um, and believe that um, black folks have thicker skin um, and, and basically are less human. Yeah. Um, and so as I was telling them about the vaccine, I'm like, please be gentle, you know, please poke, you know, please, you know, um, remember humanity. Um, and several of the, the community staff were, were saying to me, you know, I'm really glad that you said that, you know, so there is just still so much embedded in the training that has to be unlearned. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I want to talk about that piece too, of how we feel cared for um, mm -hmm. and how that differs for different people in different communities. And, um, and I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about CAM, about complementary and alternative mm -hmm. medicine um, and the important, the role of um, physical touch and, mm -hmm. and how healing and feeling cared for looks different for different people. Because I can probably, I can guarantee you that a lot of folks are not going to feel like genuinely cared for and taken care of from a five minute doctor visit. Mm -hmm. um, so how can we how can we support the facilitation of that um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in a way that well, works for them? Yeah, though, and that's also what I said to everyone, um, you know, as we we're doing our little circle, is that everyone that walks in here should feel cared for. Uh, we want folks to feel cared for, loved, treated well with respect, um, and that they'll remember how you made them feel. Um, and so dignity, uh, respect, and love is, is crucial. So at Rafiki, you know, um, as you know, I believe that as folks walk into the door, they should be greeted, they should be welcomed, this is their house, you know, they should be, you know, if they're hungry, there should be a snack, if they, whatever it is that they need, they should be able to access. And so that's the same thing with, with our treatments of, you know, whether it's chiropractic, acupuncture, massage, um, but especially massages is often the gateway to acupuncture and chiropractic. Um, but it's such an amazing um, uh, stress reliever, um, pain reliever, antidepressant, um, anti-anxiety agent. And um, it, it works for folks who have um, lost uh, use of one of their arms or have had a stroke lost use of, of limbs, um, who are just dealing with lots of pain to feel, you know, healthy, um, physical touch. So many of us um, walk around every day with not enough um, healthy touch, uh, with, you know, consent, touch, love, um, connection, and to feel cared for. So 
it's really crucial. So it's not only the, the touch of the massage and, and the, um, you know, all of the good uh, hormones like oxytocin and, and other chemicals that get released. It's also um, the relationship, building that relationship mm -hmm. with community. Like, I know your name, I see you, I smile, you know, we, we connect, um, we remember, oh yeah, you were, you know, something happened in your family or how's your child or your grandchild or, you know, what's happening. And those are, those are really important things um, in having people feel less isolated, less distant, um, more connected, uh, reducing social isolation. All of those things, you know, happen through those interactions. They're crucial. And then also just the literal therapeutic aspect of mm -hmm. massage, which I think people undersell way too much. Um, you know, and the, and the therapeutic and, and medicinal aspects of massage, chiropractic and acupuncture and really uh, staying healthy and being preventive um, in chronic health issues. Yes, and, and also with that, that body work and holistic body, mind, soul work, mm -hmm. um, disrupting that embodied trauma and mm -hmm. and we know how how these things this excess stress and and violence and trauma live in our bodies and mm -hmm. they just kind of get stuck in there and mm -hmm. um we have to be able to not only take care of ourselves but take care of others and and help each other release that and mm -hmm. um and kind of reclaim our bodies and our health in that way Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Bessel van der Kolk says the body is book is uh, the body keeps the score, and um, you know that's it remembers the trauma, and so you know whether we're dancing it out, massaging it out, or um, having acupuncture, these are somatic, physical ways to uh, to heal trauma. Yeah, yeah, that's so important. So. Um... I think I'm going to have us transition into a part two because mm -hmm. I have a feeling this will be long and there's still so much juicy stuff I want to get into. So that I think this is going to be the end of our part one and we're going to okay. transition to part two. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the What's Up podcast. We'll catch up with you on our next episode, which will be posted every Friday this term. While PSU has gone remote for the time being, we wanted to let you know that Shaq is still here for you. We are fully committed to the physical and emotional health and wellness of PSU students. Please call ahead to use our health services for flu shots, free COVID testing, or general appointments at 503 725-2800. Counseling services are still available via telehealth and you can schedule your appointments by calling that same number 503-725-2800. If you are looking for more health and wellness resources, you can check out our online health magazine that gets sent to your pdx.edu email every Wednesday or you can download the Campus Well app. You can also check out the virtual mind spa experience to rest, relax, and rejuvenate wherever you have internet access. We will be including website links in the episode description. We also have a Google form that you can complete with any questions about health, shack, or anything we discuss in the podcast. 
you can find the link in the episode description. Thanks for listening and take care.